Today we lay to rest a man who was complex and multifaceted. A man who served the church for six decades as a priest, pastor, and bishop. A man whose life story is not well known within the church or to the public at large. Alex J. Brunette was a veritable study in contrast, a living conundrum, a man who was seemingly extroverted yet painfully shy, a man rough-hewn but cultured, humorous and ponderous, thick-skinned but very vulnerable, conciliatory and very contentious, personally frugal, yet generous to others beyond description. He was a walking enigma who served the church selflessly and well in the Archdiocese of Detroit, in the Diocese of Helena, and here in this Archdiocese, also with considerable responsibility in the life of the Universal Church. It was the romantic poet William Wordsworth who wrote, the child is father of the man. To best understand this archbishop, it is both wise and even necessary to turn the clock back for a brief glimpse into the brunette family home as described by the Archbishop himself. Alex Joseph was born on January 17th of 1934, hailing from a family of 14 children, the second child of Raymond Henry and Cecilia Una Gill. Alex was born in the long shadow of the Great Depression, a time when Unemployment was endemic, dollars scarce, and the promises of the New Deal for relief, reform, and recovery had yet to materialize. His father, Raymond, was a plumber by trade, a poet by nature, and a humorist at heart. He was described by his son as a loving father a savvy and self-educated man, optimistic and observant, self-effacing and self-sacrificing, accustomed to long hours of back-breaking labor with little time for rest or rejuvenation. His mother, Cecilia, a faith-filled woman, joyful and intelligent, able to stretch a dollar far enough to feed a gaggle of hungry mouths. She was a woman who immersed herself fully into the vocation of motherhood, filling the modest brunette home with the riches of love, laughter, music, and grace. As the numbers of children increased exponentially, two roads diverged in a yellow wood before young Alex Brunette, and he chose the road less traveled. He rejected any hint 
of self-pity or entitlement, and by the age of 10 had become fiercely independent and entrepreneurial. In elementary school, he had discovered that his intellect and intuition, coupled with native street smarts and pugnacity, allowed him to make money and wind his way through the rough and tumbled streets of Detroit, Michigan. His parents were unable to provide him and his siblings with material benefits, but they gave Alex and his sisters and brothers a solid foundation. Belief in self, a survivor mentality, a single-minded love for Christ and the church, and the capacity not only to dream, but to dream big and to respond to the promptings of God's grace with courage and conviction. It was William Butler Yeats who wrote words that capture poetically what Alex Brunette discovered at a tender age. Yeats wrote, but I, being poor, have only my dreams. Therefore, tread softly because you tread on my dreams. Alex Brunette let no one tread on his dreams. As a youngster, he was deeply influenced by the priests of his home parish of St. Ambrose, giving verity to Albert Schweitzer's adage that example is not the main thing in life, it's the only thing. It was the example of his parish priests that had profound influence on this boy. And during those elementary school years, Alex's vocation to priesthood was awakened and came to life. Yet, as an aspiring seminarian, his parents were unable to afford the steep cost associated with seminary boarding school, then normative in Detroit, and so Alex pursued his dreams the only way he knew. He was driven by sheer tenacity and self-motivation. He rode a city bus 90 minutes one way in the pre-dawn hours of Detroit. His days, filled with the rigors of academic and spiritual formation, followed by another lengthy commute home. And after long hours of homework and little sleep, he repeated the routine day after day, year after year, and never once taking his eyes off his goal of priestly ordination. It was during those formative years that something very miraculous happened in the heart of this young seminarian. He was received tenderly by a second mother, a surrogate mother, as it were, described by the sainted John XXIII in personal and very endearing language. The church, he wrote, is mother and teacher, giving life to her children and teaching them 
and guiding them with maternal care. This second mother, who Alex learned to love tenderly, was loving and supportive in the springtime of his vocation, but she was also demanding, unrelenting, indefatigable. St. Luke wrote to those who have been given much, much will be expected. It was the second mother who recognized his uncommon gifts, his untapped potential, and unparalleled perseverance. In 1955, the Archdiocese of Detroit sent this poor day student to the prestigious North American College in Rome, opening new doors and new opportunities to a young man with a single-minded quest for priestly life and ministry. It was during the years in Rome that he developed a deep and lifelong love for the Eucharist, a lasting affection for the See of Peter, expansive knowledge of the universal church, theological acumen, facility with language, a cosmopolitan outlook, a refined palate, and a penchant for Cuban cigars. On July 13th of 1958, Alex was ordained to the priesthood by Luigi Cardinal Troglia, one of the youngest priests presented for ordination that year in Rome. Following his ordination, his cardinal assigned him to serve briefly the people of St. Rose of Lima Parish in Detroit, where he got his first taste of parish life and became immersed in the ordinary cares of pastoral ministry. But the assignment was short-lived. Once again, his surrogate mother recognized uncommon gifts and aptitudes and placed a new set of demands upon his shoulders. That year, he was instructed by his cardinal to enroll at the University of Detroit to secure a second master's degree. And no sooner had he finished the diploma that he was directed once again to apply for advanced studies at Marquette University, studies in theology. While there, he was deputed by the Cardinal also to serve as a theological advisor in the archdiocese with a particular mandate to help the Cardinal put into practice the emerging teachings of the Second Vatican Council. Father Brunette was the main drafter of a catalytic document in Detroit entitled Synod 69, a response to the decrees of the Second Vatican Council. It was this project that informed and even transformed the vocation of this priest forever. 1972, after a brief appointment as academic dean at St. John's Seminary, Father Brunette was once again faced with a new and unexpected challenge. The Cardinal appointed him to assist to the ecumenical and interfaith needs of the Archdiocese of Detroit, 
appointing Brunette as the ecumenical officer, an interest that remained active with him for the rest of his life. And in preparation for that office, he took up postgraduate studies in Israel, France, and Germany. He immersed himself in the traditions of the Orthodox, Protestant, Jewish, and Muslim religions, and was exposed to the worlds of Confucianism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Upon return from this worldwide junket, the Archbishop coupled Father Burnett's ecumenical duties with a second full-time simultaneous appointment. He was appointed founding pastor of St. Aidan Parish in Livonia, where he honed his pastoral skills and built a new church while still leading the archdiocese on the unforged paths of ecumenical and interfaith dialogue. That six-year appointment lasted 21 years. From 1991 to 94, he was transferred for his final pastoral appointment in the Archdiocese of Detroit, serving at the Shrine of the Little Flower in Royal Oak. And while at the shrine, Monsignor Brunette received the news that changed the course of his life forever. It was on July 6th, 1994, that Alexander Joseph Brunette became the eighth bishop of the Diocese of Helena, Montana, where he cut his teeth as America's newest baby bishop. He traversed the 52,000 miles of the diocese by his Jeep, exercising a ministry already so familiar to him as pastor and teacher. In the Diocese of Helena, he is still spoken about with much admiration and affection, most especially as friend of the Blackfeet Nation, as shepherd to the farming and ranching communities, and as advocate of the working class families living and laboring in Western Montana. But that assignment too was short-lived. October 28th, of 1997, Bishop Brunette was confronted with a new and more complex challenge than ever before. He was appointed by Pope John Paul II as the Archbishop of Seattle and installed in this cathedral on December 18 of that same year. He entered an archdiocese that was still in mourning following an early retirement of Archbishop Raymond Hunthausen and the untimely death of Thomas J. Murphy. It was a church struggling to regain its equilibrium after a decade of tension, tumult, and uncertainty. He initiated his ministry by doing what came naturally, logging highway miles, meeting his priests and parishioners, in the Archdiocese's highly diverse deaneries. He listened attentively to his people with the heart of a seasoned pastor. He quickly recognized and affirmed the vitality 
of the Church of Seattle, with its reputation for having a gifted and spirited clergy, a well-formed laity, energetic pastoral programs, a history of collaborative ministry, innovative planning, and a commitment to shared responsibility, all values born in the heart of Raymond G. Hunthausen. Initially cautious, if not reticent, he quickly applauded the vitality of this local church, a church he was deputed to lead. During one of his less diplomatic moments at the USCCB, I heard him admonish a group of East Coast prelates who will go unnamed, that they would do well to go west and learn how to be church. It was that conversation that told me Archbishop Brunette had turned a corner. Quietly and often without explanation, the newly appointed Archbishop directed energies and resources to particular areas, often without consultation or rationale, but in light of his personal history, a history of childhood poverty and economic struggle, we can now understand why certain programs and initiatives became the beneficiary of his pastoral care. It began with the quiet work of Sister Sharon Park at the Washington State Catholic Conference. In no short order, the Archbishop did all he could to embrace and advance her apostolate as she ministered among the legislative power brokers in the halls of Olympia. Here was a pivotal place where church advocacy could assist struggling families and un underserved children with benevolent and humane legislation. In light of his own personal history of struggle and through the quiet competence he encountered in Sister Sharon, the conference occupied a very special place in his heart for the remainder of his tenure. So too, he publicly and proudly affirmed the tireless ministry of Michael Reichert, Irene Ward, Rosemary Zilmer, and a cast of hundreds serving in Catholic Community Services and the Archdiocesan Housing Authority. It was the Seattle Times who reported that on Archbishop Burnett's watch, CCS served more than 10 million people to the hungry, provided 2.2 million nights of emergency shelter, opened 1,101 new units of affordable housing, and offered 2.1 million hours of service to the elderly and disabled. Former Washington Governor Gary Locke had called CCS the conscience of Washington State. In word and in deed, the CCS ministry proclaimed loudly and clearly that there are no throwaway people, no cast-aside souls, 
and no second-class citizens. This is why Archbishop Brunette blessed and affirmed the CCS ministry and authority because he saw it as the very embodiment of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Catholic social teaching come alive in our midst. A third area, the Archbishop honed in on Catholic schools, appointing a line of gifted leaders, Sister Joyce Cox, Bishop Joe Tyson, Father Steve Rowan, to serve alongside a vast array of teachers and administrators. Recall, Catholic schools of Detroit were the Archbishop's own passport from poverty and a doorway to his hopes and dreams. And so he lived and died as a devotee of Catholic education and through his brainchild, the Fulcrum Foundation, and the visionary work of Steve Rowan, Archbishop Burnett has helped to ensure the schools in this archdiocese will remain solvent, accessible, and affordable for generations to come. Throughout his years of leadership, he presided over a rapidly changing church where new waves of immigrants were arriving daily in the Northwest. They were welcomed and celebrated with joy by a diverse and hospitable archdiocese, most especially through the warmth and welcome they received after the appointment of Eusebio Alessandro, a special sign of the Archbishop's affirmation and love of every people, every nation, and every culture that constitute the colorful tapestry of this local church called the Archdiocese of Seattle. Finally, during the busy days he spent in the Archdiocese, Archbishop Burnett found significant time to work in the international arena of ecumenism and ecumenical dialogue. He remained deeply engaged in the Jewish-Roman Catholic dialogue, Roman Catholic-Methodist dialogue, even serving as co-chair of the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission. During those years I served at his side, he frequently quoted words from Pope Emeritus Benedict that there will be no peace among the nations until there is peace among the great religions. That was the driving force behind his dedicated ecumenical life. Throughout his ministry, he set a high standard for himself and expected as much from others as he did for himself. Those who worked closely with him were quick to point out that on a bad day with the Archbishop, we would run out of fanny before he ran out of teeth. But we loved him in spite of that and surrounded him with the very best care we could possibly muster. Angela Kyson, Penny Howell, Fran Lembo, Kirk Altenhofen, Dennis O'Leary, the late Pat Sersley, Mary Santi, his beloved friend Mike Patterson, John Hempelman, scores of lay friends and confidants, 
added quality and meaning to his life, never giving up on him when the going got rough and never turning away from him when his future became uncertain. Nearly eight years ago, as he entered into a well-deserved retirement, a new and heavy burden was placed upon this archbishop's shoulders. He was stricken with a debilitating stroke which limited his mobility, radically altered his life, and made a highly independent individual entirely dependent on the care of others. Somehow, inexplicably, except by grace, he bore the burden with equanimity and peace, never one time complaining, but only finding ways to speak about the liberation that comes to every soul who accepts the weight of the cross. It was the Gospel of Matthew proclaimed today that was written for him in his hour of need. Come to me, all you who are weary, and find life burdensome, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon your shoulders and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Your souls will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Each day, he was a living witness to the power and the beauty of redemptive suffering. Among the many theologians and writers he so loved, the newly canonized John Henry Cardinal Newman loomed large. Newman wrote words that might have been written for this archbishop in these final days, and I quote, May God support us all the day long till the shades lengthen and the evening comes and the build busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then, in his mercy, may he give us safe lodging and holy rest and peace at last. Now, as we prepare to lay our brother to rest, we ask our blessed Lord to free him from every burden, reward him for his endeavors, forgive him for his faults and failures, and grant to him that blessed reward reserved for those who have served the Lord faithfully and well. Dear Jesus, let him hear the words reserved for those who have loved you so much. Well done, O good and faithful servant. Come, enter your Father's rest. Amen.